0: No intro joke this week.
1: Or is there?
0: Welcome to The Absolute State, a podcast by the investigative shitposters at Left Coast Right Watch. Each week we'll bring you coverage from the absurdly dangerous to the dangerously absurd. I'm LCRW's Editor-in-Chief, Abner Hauge. This week we're talking about the end of Roe vs. Wade. We'll talk to Kat Green with the Abortion Access Front about the absolute state of abortion rights. And then we'll check in with LCRW staff and contributors who are out and about covering protests over the weekend. But first, let's go to Haley from Arizona Right Wing Watch to hear how abortion access is affected there. Alright, we're rolling. We're with Haley from Arizona Right Wing Watch to start off the episode. Haley, what's immediately going to happen right now with abortion in the great state of Arizona?
2: Well, we're technically not a trigger state like a lot of other states are, uh, which means abortion would be banned outright. But unfortunately, um, within two days of the Roe decision, uh, 93% of abortions have already been stopped in the state and the only reason that we don't know about the other seven percent is because they haven't gotten word on that clinic so it might be even completely banned the problem is that it's abortion is kind of in this legal limbo right now in arizona laws on the books are either not active yet haven't been on the books for decades or they kind of contradict each other we have a 15-week ban A 15-week law that will outlaw abortion in all cases, even in rape and incest, that goes into effect uh, in about 90 days. But we also have a pre-statehood law on the books. So pre-statehood means when we were a territory. That would outlaw abortion completely and has prison sentences on the books. We also have something called a fetal personhood law that is pretty recent, and the ACLU is going to be fighting that law soon. And that's kind of what's going to happen. So all abortions have basically stopped in Arizona. We're just going to have to deal with the fallout of lots of court cases, and there'll be lots of bills introduced next session, probably, um, to further restrict abortion here. And so it's just kind of in, like, limbo right now. So yeah, abortions have stopped almost entirely, or maybe entirely, for the time being in Arizona. About 13,000 people get an abortion every year in Arizona, so that many people are affected. Clinics were talking to the news about patients that they had to cancel their appointments that day.
0: So people are going to have to start traveling to Nevada, California, other states...
2: Yeah, some people will get sent to Mexico, just depending.
0: What's the general vibe, I guess, with activists, you know, and organizations, you know?
2: I think a lot of them have been preparing to deal with the fallout in Arizona. A lot of states are dealing with this right now.
0: Abortion funds are going to be really impacted, too, because instead of, you know, sending people to clinics in-state, like, I imagine travel's a lot more expensive, Right.
2: Oh, yeah. I keep seeing people saying that. Oh, you could just go to another state. and its I can't imagine, like, spending that kind of money. Hotel, gas, food, the actual procedure, which is expensive itself. Abortion criminalizes poor people. This is just, like, that's who's going to be hurting here. Like, when you offer the solution, just go somewhere else sweaty. That's not a solution for a lot of people.
0: So, for the rest of this episode, we're mostly going to be talking to reporters who've seen the reaction on the ground this past weekend is there anything you want folks to think about as they're listening to those stories
2: i think a lot of people get mad at like instant like 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 people being angry you know and um like their reactions this weekend um you'll hear that in my story just the response that people had to people's anger And it's like... Yeah, people are angry. I think they have a right to be angry right now. Like, people are gonna be forced to... Like, forced pregnancy is cruel. Um, So yeah, I think... And like, putting people through awful healthcare situations is fucking evil. So yeah, I think people have a right to be angry and like, I don't give a shit if something gets tagged. Or... I don't know if a gate gets fucking rattled. I don't, I just don't care. So, I don't know. Maybe don't get mad at that if you are one of those people that gets mad at stupid shit like that. (laughs) And like focus on the real things like that. Millions of people are gonna suffer now. And uh, have their choice taken away forever. And a bunch of kids are gonna be born in this world that just aren't going to be fucking wanted, and that sucks. I don't know. Redirect your fucking anger at where it should be, which is the people who did this to us, and the people that uphold this. I don't know. Not a bunch of fucking angry people who are rightfully angry.
0: (laughs) Thanks again to Haley, as always. Later, she'll tell us what happened to protesters in Phoenix, so stay tuned. But first, we wanted an expert to tell us where the fight over abortion rights is now. I called Kat Green with the Abortion Access Front. They do everything from comedy shows, to supporting clinics, to detailed tracking of anti-abortion groups. We're here with Kat Green from Abortion Access Fund. I didn't mess that up, did I? Oh,
3: Abortion Access Front.
0: (laughs) I I did mess mess that up. up. It's okay. I actually had a question about the front part, but we'll get to that in a second. First, could you tell our listeners a little bit about what you and your group do?
3: Sure. Abortion Access Front is a rapid response media hub that destigmatizes abortion by putting information in pop culture spaces and over the years in the course of going on the road and trying to do comedy shows and help out clinics on site doing practical support projects at, uh, at the clinics we also started doing A little bit of mutual aid, an adopt-a-clinic program. We started tracking fake clinics. We have an exposed fake clinics program. And then we started oppositional tracking program. We have an anti-mapping database to track all the bad actors that have been harassing people across the country. So,
0: first question, what was everybody in AAF's reaction when the ruling came down on Friday?
3: Well, everybody working in abortion care and advocacy knew that this was coming but it doesn't make it any less devastating you know it's just incredibly hard to have something that is both your work and affects you directly come down and basically say that you're not human
0: your group works traveling across the country and i imagine with the draft memo that got leaked yeah people have been anticipating this for a while um I'm just wondering what the conversations were like.
3: Um, well, we haven't been on tour for uh, since COVID started. We've done a couple individual one-off projects uh, when numbers were low, but I was actually at the National Abortion Federation Conference when the leak happened. <laughs> so with a, a ton of providers and advocates, even before the leak happened, we knew where this was going we knew what we were facing. A number of us have been planning, trying to shore things up and make things a little bit more secure, come up with backup plans. One of the things we've been doing is we have a big event on July 17th, where we knew that there was going to be a massive influx of new volunteers. And getting into abortion advocacy is such a tricky thing because there are safety issues, there are legal issues, there are cultural sensitivity issues that people need to be caught up to speed on before they just jump into it. So we were already in the process of coordinating this event to as sort of an orientation day to get people up to speed so that we could plug them into places that have the capacity. Because the other thing is, you know, a lot of the abortion funds in te- Texas is a good example. When SB8 dropped, the abortion fund hotlines were getting clogged with people trying to donate or volunteer. And that's just counterproductive, right? So... Um, The other thing is that people need to be vetted before they get connected to abortion groups. And so that's one of the things we're doing is we're doing all of this volunteer intake in one centralized place so that we can vet people and then send them off to the right kind of organizations that they are interested in working in based on the work they want to do and where they are and organizations that have the capacity to take in volunteers right now. Because all of these good intentions are also just creating extra work for clinics and advocacy groups right now.
0: Well, on that note, I suppose you're a good person to ask if someone's interested in doing volunteer work around this issue, what are the things you think they should ask themselves?
3: We have sorted this out into about four different buckets so people can identify the kind of work they'd like to be doing, whether it's clinic support work, patient support work, direct action, or lobbying, legal advocacy. So that's where you start, right? You you identify what feels best to you and what kind of things you, you think is are going to be the most helpful. There's clinic escorting, there's practical support help, but then there's also like, you can be out in the streets doing street theater. There's, you can go to a state house. And so that's that's a personality test issue, right? And from there, it's identifying the groups who are closest to you, who have the capacity to put you to work. So- that's why we're doing this is basically to it, it's like a Myers-Briggs test for new volunteers <laughs> i
0: i just have to say that I, that's really smart i've kind of struggled with maybe a parallel version of that in anti-fascist work after j6 i mean there's you know there's always a lot of very well-intentioned people but then they'd say okay well should i call the cops for this should
3: i do that okay right. Right. There's a lot of background you've got to get people up to speed on so that they're not putting themselves or other people in danger. I mean, you know, since we do oppositional research, there's a similar thing where people get really excited when they start doing it and they don't necessarily verify the information that they're finding. And so that's not only potentially putting you at risk, it's putting a total stranger at risk that might have the same name as somebody researching.
0: Since you since you mentioned oppositional research and Could you tell us a bit about who some of the groups you're tracking are? And I kind of wanted to ask this wonky question. Would you say that there's national groups or it's a lot more local homegrown groups that do that all on their own. What would you say is more the threat here?
3: It's a combination of the two. um, And it's changed over the last few years since we've been doing this. Initially, it was primarily religious driven, right wing groups that were based out of churches, some evangelical, some Catholic, but groups like 40 Days for Life, or Operation Save America or Love Life, right? Those were the standards for a long time. While COVID was happening, while the lockdowns were happening, and there were big mask mandates and vaccine protests, we started seeing all these people mingling at those protests with militia groups and nationalist groups, there were always a few people that had strong ties to like Oath Keepers or 3%ers and things like that. And there were individual religious anti-abortion groups that would have their own militia training events, right? But we weren't seeing as much of an overlap between like the standard nationalist groups that you would see. And that has Drastically increased, and abortion has also drastically increased as a hot topic with the more well-known nationalist groups, people like the Proud Boys or Patriot Front, or you know Adam Waffen. And we're we're starting to see all this intermingling of people. At the end of the day, we all have the same enemies, so there's a lot of overlap between people who are harassing LGBTQ centers, trans rights activists, sex work activists just across the board, we're seeing this. And so it's, I'm finding that I'm sharing a lot more information with groups in other specialties, because sharing this information, sometimes we have information, the other ones don't. And so it keeps all of us safer if we know what we're up against and who else to look out for.
0: Could you talk a little bit more about how the covid conspiracies and those rallies uh, generated new horrible solidarity between groups like the proud boys and anti-abortion groups could you give us some examples of where you've seen that happen
3: well one of the best examples is in wisconsin there's uh, a man named matt Truella who, runs a few groups missionaries to the preborn, defy tyrants he wrote a book called uh, the doctrine of the lesser magistrates and his son-in-law is also the executive director of operation save america he has a long history of extremely hateful anti-abortion behavior he's been arrested several times he signed on to the army of god uh, defensive action statement which was a statement saying that violence is justified in terms of uh, saving the pre-born, right? So Mm -hmm. his book, The Doctrine of Lesser Magistrates, is actually getting cited a lot with sovereign citizens and anybody arguing for small government. During the shutdown, one of the things he was most active doing was going out to city council meetings and arguing against vaccine mandates and mask mandates. He was in a city council meeting in Wisconsin talking about how mask mandates were like the Holocaust. It's become a linchpin. It's a touchstone for all these people to rally behind. It's also an opportunity for them to take away the meaning of a lot of the rallying cries that have been behind bodily autonomy this whole time. It's when you started seeing people just co-opting things like My Body, My Choice with regard to masks instead of abortion.
0: Yeah, that was one other thing I was going to ask about is I've I've seen anti-maskers for, you know, well over, you know, two years now use that phrase, my body, my choice. And I was kind of wondering if you could meditate on the whole philosophy. Is there a coherent (laughs) philosophy you feel that that's behind anti-abortion groups or that it's kind of a mix of different people with different motives.
3: The common thread behind a lot of it is replacement theory. People are really concerned about white birth rates going down and um, a lot of the anti-abortion groups are also connected to foster care groups or, or adoption groups that they are running. It's been the return of homes for wayward women and things like that. But using our terminology has always been one of their moves to make things lose all their meaning. It's always been a tactic of the right to just sow chaos by inverting the meaning of anything that we start to rely on. And it's a good reminder that messaging is malleable and we can't get too complacent and we always need to be revisiting how we're presenting something so that they don't have that same kind of opportunity it's also we don't have the same kind of machines behind us generating meme content to accelerate that process of making themes and and phrases lose meaning so it's and also we just have a different moral code when it comes to it right <laughs> it's it's the great difference between all of this is like we have standards but. <laughs> So it's it's hard because we're fighting people who have a completely different set of rules, and we need to be a little bit more creative about how we're going up against that. They don't care if you say that they're hypocrites. That doesn't matter, you know. We
0: kind of think of things in terms of conflict and territory a lot at the outlet. So (laughs) forgive me if this uh, next question sounds a bit crass, but... Since you're called Abortion Access Front, I'm wondering what you feel the fronts in this conflict are.
3: I don't think it's crass at all. I mean, we've always seen this as a fight, and it's part of the reason we went out on the road. It's part of the reason we counter-protest anti-abortion people at their own events. We don't believe in adding chaos outside of any clinic. That's not helpful. We always play by the rules of any clinic we go to visit. It's more that we always thought that it was necessary to be challenging our opposition where they meet. We've protested outside of churches. We've gone to meet them when they set up in the middle of a city. Part of that was because we were seeing this happen and nobody was out there to counter it. And so it just, it throws the entire visual when you don't see anybody opposing this horrible message, whether they believe it in or not. If you see that enough and nobody stands up to it, everybody starts to think that maybe more people agree with it than they do. So at, at the beginning, it was like four of us out there in brightly colored T-shirts just yelling at them and letting us, letting them call us whores, you know, <laughs> like we still very much believe in that. It's just, it's been complicated to continue counter protesting in the same way but partially because of COVID, partially because of the stakes at the clinics, and partially because we've gotten involved in much more direct support projects with both clinics and just training new advocates, right? So right now, we think our place is much more important to just lighten the load on clinics and larger advocacy groups and and try and get them through this time and get them the help they need without it being an extra burden. We have a weekly podcast called Feminist Buzzkills Live and we elevate the voices of other people in the movement who don't get on mainstream media that much. And it's already been helpful in getting them better times as getting them more screen time on places like MSNBC, you know, like having them out there and speaking. Uh, it's, it's just such a relief to have more people than the standard four people they had on TV all the time talking about abortion, you know, who weren't on the ground, who weren't actually in the middle of things and didn't necessarily have the context for, especially at state level discussions. So right now, a lot of our priorities are on that. And then also... Compiling the information we've been collecting about the opposition because, you know, we we identified like 30 people who were at January 6th, but then also we've been tracking as like the uptick in blockades and invasions have happened, we've been tracking all of that information and giving it to security teams so that they have better cases for when they go to court, because ultimately all these people should be prosecuted under face charges, right? They should all be catching federal charges. And I mean, granted, there are complications with collecting information for a legal case, but at the end of the day, that's the recourse that most of these clinics have. And so we're just working with them to get them the best information so that they go in with the strongest case possible.
0: No, that makes perfect sense. And frankly, um, after talking to you for this long, I feel a lot less despondent about the issue than I had been.
3: Oh, thanks. I mean, it's still really dire. Don't get me wrong. Like Things are terrible, but staying active helps, you know? If you feel like you can help even one person, that makes it a little less bleak.
0: Later in this episode, we're going to be talking to one of my colleagues who was reporting in Eugene, Oregon, and there was a militiaman with a rifle stalking the pro-abortion march, out there, and there's been car attacks, there's been...
3: I mean, also, um, it was in Salem, where Ken Peterson and, and the Church at Planned Parenthood had the Proud Boys as their security, and a big fight broke out between them and the counter-protesters, and then the police tear-gassed everybody.
0: I've personally watched in Modesto as Don Grunman and the local Proud Boys chap in, like, using this whole straight pride bullshit at the end of August just to do a show of force every year in front of the Planned Parenthood in Modesto but there's been anti-abortion terror in this country for a long time. I was just wondering if you could meditate on that a bit for me.
3: Well what's interesting is a lot of the people who were celebrated by the army of God as you know the prisoners of Christ the uh what is it the order of the white rose guys a lot of them are out of prison now right and so they all have little get-togethers again Michael Bray is out there writing poetry about burning clinics down again. We've been talking about the Army of God folks that are back out. They're not only out of jail, but meeting up in person again. Some of those folks are interacting directly with known militia groups, but also there are well-known anti-abortion leaders like Matt Shea, who are open secessionists. Like He was flying a a liberty state flag in his church the other day you know he's had a long history of training militias and advocating for people to take up arms and not only fight for abortion but secede jason storms who runs operation save america is another one who uh he has a whole sermon that he gave about the duty of christian men to take up arms you know there's definitely a big push in that direction and people are hungry for it they're excited they're meeting up with gun manufacturers and you know the the rod of iron group has been meeting with um the black robe regiment folks too they had dan fisher speaking at their conference last year and so and they've been buying up property in little compounds like all across the country so there's definitely a move towards not only militarization, but they want their own government. <laughs> and, and, and I don't even think overturning Roe v. Wade will stop that, right? The idea of small government, Christian government um, is more important to them than just abortion. It's challenging. Like, how do we fight that? I, I don't actually think most people on the left are prepared for that in any way.
0: I'm wondering about um just kind of the philosophy on the right of having of this compulsion to ban abortion and codify this into law like where does that come from for historically
3: Honestly it's about control um you know it's not that people won't you know a lot of people will not be able to get abortions or are going to have da- dangerous pregnancies but the other thing about what's happening right now is that it's gearing up to be a mass incarceration event people are going to be jailed for pregnancy outcomes people are either going to be very sick potentially die possibly be imprisoned for having a miscarriage and so that is something that has not really been getting enough play in all of this because there will still be ways to seek out care. In spite of access, it won't be great and some of it won't be legal, but even if people are able to find care in hostile states, they're still risking the possibility of having to go to jail or be sued for an incredible amount of money for helping somebody. Texas is floating the idea of retroactively prosecuting people under their 1930s abortion ban. So there's, it's more about punishment than it is about protection or religion. There are a couple camps in terms of what people's motivations are behind it. Some people are using religion as a cudgel to get more control for themselves um some people genuinely believe in bringing about the apocalypse you know and it's a combination of those two things some people are just grifters trying to get themselves more power and some people are, are maniacs that want to bring about the end of the world what i do think is that abortion is not the only right that's being taken away from people right now we're sliding into fascism pretty quickly here The scary part is that if the U.S. falls into total fascism, there isn't really another country in the world that can step in and fix that. We have the biggest army, blah, blah, blah. But that means that everybody here, everybody that has privilege, everybody that has a little bit of fight in them needs to be willing to get in there and help because that's the only way that this is going to turn around. And there is no magic fix for this right now, right? It's going to take decades to fix what's happening right now, but we have to try (laughs) because the other option is that we just live under somebody's boot forever.
0: The motto we've been trying to have at the podcast here is don't despair, prepare.
3: Yeah, absolutely be realistic about what your risk assessments for things are. Be careful. There are so many people that have gotten complacent and think that the police aren't going to come for them. And it's like, well, that's not true anymore. But that doesn't mean that you're doomed. It just means that you need to learn how to be careful and smart and And work with people that you trust and work towards better things with better people.
0: I suppose we're at the point of the interview where I say, um, is there anything you'd like to send our um, listeners and readers attention to?
3: Yeah, if, um, if people want to get involved in abortion volunteering, sign up for Operation Save Abortion. We're doing a big event on July 17th, but we're also going to be putting all that information up on our website, uh, operationsaveabortion.com. And if people are aware of any bad things going around at abortion clinics, if you see people being hostile, if it's at a protest, uh, you can send us a tip at anti org.
0: And those excellent resources will be available in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. This has been... Really, really illuminating,
3: oh, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, you take care, and um we'll beg you to come back on soon because I know great. there's going to be a lot more going on.
3: I'll be around, okay, thanks so much.
0: thanks again to Cat and everyone at a a f You can learn more about the invaluable work they do in the show notes. <laughs> And now we turn back to me, your editor in chief abner that's that's who I am i'm going to lead you into talking about this week's protests. The Supreme Court overturned Roe v Wade last Friday. Abortion immediately became less available or outright illegal in many states. How did the people in power react? well, former president. Barack Obama said that the Supreme Court, quote, regulated the most intensely personal decisions someone can make to the whims of politicians and ideologues, attacking the essential freedoms of uh, millions of Americans. Obama once promised to codify Roe versus Wade into law on his first day in office, but he never did. Joe Biden made a similar promise that he couldn't deliver. Here's what he had to say as cops in riot gear marched through D.C.
4: I call on everyone, no matter how deeply they care about this decision, to keep all protests peaceful, 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 no intimidation. Violence is never acceptable. Threats and intimidation are not speech. We must stand against violence in any form. Regardless of your rationale.
0: Outside the Capitol, House Democrats sang God Bless America as protesters' chants echoed from the Supreme Court. To be fair, they were trying to celebrate passage of a gun control bill and remember the lives of children lost to school shootings. Inside, Nancy Pelosi read an Israeli poem from 1970 about the horror and futility of war. She's read it out on other occasions, too, like after J6. But the most amazing Democratic response was from Representative Andy Levin of Michigan. He tweeted pictures of himself doing yoga in his office, head on the ground, and ass in the air a post that translates from Sanskrit as kick me. (laughs) A few hours later, he deleted it in shame, but it lives on in our show notes. By the way, abortion might be completely illegal in Michigan right now, but thanks to a 1931 law, nobody is quite sure. What a great system. So that's the Democrats, the party that vows to fight for your rights, but whose actual strategy is promises, poetry, and eventual surrender. Good job, everyone. Good job. So, how did Republicans greet the news? On Twitter, Texas Senator John Cornyn tweeted about Brown v. Board of Education, the 1954 SCOTUS decision that integrated schools. Cornyn said later it was an example of overturning an older bad president. Let's just say a lot of people doubt his sincerity. At a Trump rally, Illinois Congresswoman Mary Miller made a shocking admission.
3: President Trump, on behalf of all the MAGA patriots in America, I want to thank you for the historic victory for white life in the Supreme Court yesterday.
0: You might remember Miller from a speech in January 2021 when she praised Hitler's ability to recruit the youth and urged Republicans to emulate him. She said she misspoke back then too. Trump of course took full credit for installing three conservative Supreme Court justices. And why wouldn't he? After 50 years of far-right activism, this month has seen a drastic reshaping of the legal landscape. Besides the end of Roe v. Wade, this month your 4th Amendment rights shrank, cops got even more immunity, religious activity in schools got a big boost, and gun rights significantly expanded. We're going to cover more of these issues in future episodes, and please let us know how we're doing and what you want to hear more about. Your feedback helps a lot. Back to Roe. We've heard what Power says, But what about ordinary people? The most coherent response came from some folks MSNBC interviewed in D.C.,
5: Um, So I received a text message from Joe Biden's campaign yesterday saying that the Supreme Court had overturned Roe v. Wade and that it was my responsibility to then rush $15 to the Democratic National Party. Um, And I thought that was absolutely outrageous because my rights should not be a fundraising point for them um, or a campaigning point. Uh, They have had multiple opportunities to codify Roe into law over the past 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and they haven't done it. And if they're going to keep campaigning on this point, they should actually do something
0: about it. When the decision came down, I was in Los Angeles. I went to a protest in front of the federal courthouse there. It was set up by the Revolutionary Communist Party, who's had a long history of excluding queer people. Their rhetoric ignores that people who don't identify as women can get pregnant, and people who don't identify as men can get people pregnant. Here's one of the speakers with me and colleague Tina Desiree Berg from Status Quo talking in the background.
5: This is inspirational. This, I'm looking at the signs. 100% of unwanted pregnancies are caused by men. Regulate men's bodies. What a what a, what an idea. This is a war on women, okay? Pro-life is a lie when you don't care about women's lives. Great. Uh...
2: So what I want to say is, you know, we are the change. What we have to do is talk to
0: don't know about talk that to one, Chief.
2: Maybe to our we should anybody's talk to our bodies. conservative friends.
0: Talk yeah. to our neighbors voted
2: for Trump. Talk to the people about why this is important. Talk to men. You know, people only care about things that affect them. You know, and it's a sad truth, right? But um, I've had a lot of conversations this morning over
3: text with people who seem to downplay, you know, the importance of this. And-
0: Gender identity issues might seem like a sideshow to some listeners. But we've learned the hard way. Reactionary attitudes on one topic usually spill over into others. Groups like the Revcoms or PSL organize and make big speeches at just about any protest. But revolutionary rhetoric is often a sales pitch for a political pyramid scheme. In our experience, anyone who says they have all the answers is either LARPing or selling something. And they'll happily take your energy to keep it going. Instead of listening to speeches, have more conversations. Here's what one protester named Starseed Love told me about why she came out. Could you tell us what's on your sign?
5: So on my sign, I have a couple things. I have you're not pro-life until the baby is black, gay, trans, Mexican, poor, disabled, Muslim, a girl, a refugee, or put in the foster system. I also have Deeds Not Words, which was the slogan for the militant suffragettes back in, like, 1910. And I feel like that's inspiring for right now because protest only goes so fucking far. And we're at a point where it's going to require a lot more than standing on the street with signs. I mean, I'm here for that right now. (laughs) You know, it's day one. Um, But I'm hoping that we can organize, like, widespread things that have more of an effect, I guess.
0: When you first got the news this morning, how did you feel?
5: Uh, I was actually sitting in the doctor's office for an appointment to get my tubes tied for a consultation, which was kind of ironic. And uh, I started crying because even though I'm in California and we are safe for the most part, thousands if not millions of women are going to be affected by this especially people of color and people in poverty and people are going to die and I just can't stand for that and it breaks my heart that this is where we're at right now.
0: That's pretty fucking intense. I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through that um, just uh, if you've got any other thoughts going forward um, I'd like to hear them.
5: I would just say that this is the time for ultimate action. I don't quite know what that's going to look like right now, but I think we're going to have to take major stands. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not one to necessarily incite violence, but I think, you know, if It comes down to it, and it's absolutely necessary, you know, whether it's um, giving money to people who need to get out of their state or helping, you know, transport women to places where they can get a safe abortion. I mean, we might have to start making some decisions that legally might not look so good, but, you know, slavery was legal, and look how that was, you know, so... A lot of shit's going to have to change, and I think this is step one to that.
0: I have to admit, a lot of us at LCRW are jaded about protests after 2020. When I came back in the evening, I expected another by-the-numbers march to nowhere. Then we took the freeway. We got off the freeway and LAPD followed. But that didn't stop people from taking the freeway a second time. It was kind of brilliant. They stopped traffic suddenly, then mostly left. Some lingered on an on-ramp, but squad cars drove up and needlessly blocked traffic themselves. Meanwhile people had moved back towards downtown. We passed the courthouse again. I thought the crowd might try to push the fence over. But they kept moving. LAPD followed, chasing the crowd around, kettling people, bullying and brutalizing. Sometimes they attacked teenage girls, sometimes random bystanders. Remember, don't get isolated at a protest. That makes you an easy target. A few threw fireworks at the riot line. That's exciting, but not always effective. Among those beaten and shoved by the police were LCRW contributor Joey Scott. He got jabbed hard and shoved into a car by a policeman's baton. There's a link to the full story in our show notes. The aggressive policing is starting to feel like 2020 all over again. And it wasn't just Friday night. At a protest Sunday night, an abortion rights activist was stabbed apparently by a Nazi who infiltrated the group. That activist spoke with LCRW and Daily Coast contributor Vishal Singh. Quote, The stabber specifically name-dropped me, along with other comrades, including but not limited to fems and trans allies, they said. Whoever these people are, they're coming for us. There's currently a fundraiser for the victim, which we'll link to in the show notes. So that's Los Angeles. After hearing that, you might want a break. Let's take a side trip to Las, uh, New Vegas with our correspondent, Eli Niesel. We're here with Eli Niesel, our Vegas correspondent. So how did the weekend go?
1: Um, pretty libby overall. It took until 3 p.m. for anyone to even try planning anything. Pretty messy at first. DSA planned one at the Venetian, but they didn't correspond with anyone else, so no one really wanted to go. So that collapsed. But one org called Battle Born Progress and Nevada Now uh, organized one at the courthouse and got um, our local abortion fund on board, so that got a lot of attention. And that was the main one most people went to so
0: what happened at it i heard annette magnus from battleborn progress was uh pointing people out to cops is that right
1: yeah when i showed up um some some of the people from the abortion fund were actually leaving because they didn't want to be associated with it they were just like hey it's 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 kind of libby over there they're working with cops be careful that's how it started as i talked to other people in the crowd they were like yeah no she's been going around telling us to not do things and talking to police. And at one point, I did see her like walk over to the police officers in front of the courthouse and talk with them and then point at people who were refusing to get off of benches. So, in short, she was basically going around snitching. And
0: Holy shit. Can't say I'm hugely surprised. The only time I've ever heard of her was when she was on Bundyville and she was kind of like, destroying some of the bundy narratives but i guess those are pretty easy to cut through even if you're a lib
1: yeah battleborn progress is is kind of scattershot with where they land um they don't really have any like coherent platform or anything they're non-partisan and progressive and they put progressive in quote pages so it's kind of says it all there (laughs)
0: So, how did the night go in general after after um, you got there?
1: After I got there, um, people who weren't with either of the organizations that organized it were trying to marshal traffic, just basically stand in front of cars and say, hey, there's a bunch of people crossing right now, and they were just waving people through, even if there was like, a green light for the cars. Um, because there's a lot of people walking, and they might not notice the green light, so it's just you know, good practice to keep people from getting hit by cars. Um, and the police didn't like that and arrested one that was dressed a little bit more flamboyantly so that it was uh, a little bit more obvious that they were pissed off. And they definitely wanted to use that as an example because I, I heard them tell the person that they were um, detaining and ticketing, tell everyone else not to do what you just did. And he laughed about that, he was like, no, I'm not, I'm going to keep doing it, because people are going to get hurt, otherwise you guys should be doing this. And that kind of set the scene for the rest of the march, um, people stopped trying to marshal any traffic in any way, anyone who stepped off the curb got a warning from either Annette Magnus or someone else on a megaphone, or the police. Honestly, just kind of like a chill hike all the way to the strip and back. There wasn't a whole lot of action.
0: Apparently, there were a few more arrests as well, right?
1: Apparently, one of them had a flashlight, and it got in a cop's eye, and he took that as an act of aggression and walked onto the sidewalk to grab the person with the flashlight, pulled him off of the sidewalk, and then arrested him for being off the sidewalk. Then there were two others at roughly the same time who probably stepped off the sidewalk to uh, assist. It didn't work out. It was honestly very demoralizing.
0: Oh, boy. Any other thoughts on uh, just how things went?
1: If they're cooperating with the people that they're also pissed at, I, I don't think that they have as much leverage as they think they do by walking up and down the sidewalk. So I'm not sure if they want to instigate change.
0: Are there more protests being organized, or has it kind of already fizzled out?
1: Also Battleborn Progress planned a week of action, but it's mostly just um like round tables and paint and sits and like little kind of like brunch <laughs> sort of situations. But it's mostly just hanging out and talking about stuff.
0: Okay, so if you're in the Las Vegas metropolitan area or greater Nevada area, here's your local abortion fund.
1: The Wild West Access Fund of Nevada. They um Financially assist anyone seeking abortion care. They help people who are coming from out of state or in state. Nevada is one of the states that has pretty well protected abortion laws. So it's it's more than likely going to be safe. It's a good fund to, to support. You can find them at wildwestfund.org. Sorry, I was Googling, Sorry, it. Googling it.
0: Yeah, again, that's wildwestfund.org. Thanks again to Eli for joining us. Stay tuned for more Silver State shenanigans from them in the future. Next, we talk to Carter Hughes, our Nashville correspondent, about Proud Boys and the worst DJ name ever. All right, so our Tennessee soon-to-be-undisclosed location correspondent, Carter, is on the phone with us, and Dino's on my lap, Carter. Carter. Say hi to Dino and then tell us about what the fuck went down in uh, Nashville this past weekend.
6: Hi, Dino. Not much happened in Nashville this weekend. Around like 700, 800 people gathered outside of our Capitol building. Various calls to action. The only real radical group, Workers' Dignity, called for a working class alliance to not only Kind of return to row, but also overthrow
0: capitalism and uh, all all the bad stuff. Yeah, sounds good. Let's just do and that.
6: Workers' dignity is construction workers mainly, although like they've helped in most unionization drives in Nashville. Um, they have some connection to uh, recent attempts to unionize, like uh, cafes, Proud Boys. Honestly, there wasn't that much of a presence. We saw three of them wearing very clear proud Boy symbols uh one was wearing like a kind of white power t-shirt that was shatner franchi also known as dj shatner or dj shat
0: dj shat
6: (laughs) (laughs) the only action they took one of them pretended to be a protester long enough to sneak into the center of the crowd and start flipping people off before kind of getting bored, uh, due to, like, lack of reaction and, uh, walking away, uh, like, walking away. Um, beyond that, though, really, there wasn't much, um, notable action at the protest or after the protest. Uh, it was, it was all fairly, uh, run-of-the-mill.
0: Our other reporters have said there's weird factional communist orgs that have been doing weird yeah, stuff
6: RCP, rise up yeah
0: is that big out in nashville or no
6: nashville is very dominated by libs especially around uh reproductive right abortion access nashville is kind of like the big reproductive rights group and they are pretty committed to like non-violence um, you will see more radical members of abortion access Nashville trying to kind of like disseminate ideas uh, to other members it's very heavily dominated by kind of lib politics um, the two real radical orgs or I guess one real radical org and then like kind of another informal grouping would be um, workers dignity like I previously mentioned and then um, uh, neon guard who kind of help run Community defense.
0: What's your read on how folks are reacting to the decision out in Tennessee, anyways? People
6: are broadly very upset, but being in the heart of the United States' most like conservative states, Tennessee, I think, a fifty-seven percent population of like white evangelicals, and like that population isn't just confined to a rural area. The most common reaction I've seen is very obvious rage. But it's kind of impotent because there are no real organizations to express that rage through. Something needs to be done, but no one is really doing anything that I can see. People have definitely become so desensitized to the bullshit that they can just kind of like march through it. But um, (laughs) uh, I keep seeing people shout organize at their computer screens, but... No one seems to be organizing.
0: What about the flip side? What's people like Pastor Greg Locke saying?
6: It's, it's a moment of jubilation, reveling in the momentary victory, uh, planning their next steps. But I have to admit that I've not looked too deeply into Greg Locke's reaction to this specifically.
0: Right on. Are there any abortion funds or anything for folks in Tennessee you want to direct people's attention to?
6: Yeah, sure. Uh, Abortion Access Nashville is also helping to organize several abortion funds.
0: All right, sounds good. Where can folks find you and your Uh, work?
6: Oh, where can folks find me? So I am uh, Carter Hughes on Twitter, Uh, just at Carter uh, H-U-E-S on Twitter.
0: Thanks again to Carter. He's young, he's smart, and he's deeply inside the new Confederacy. When you support us, you're helping support him. Now, back to the West Coast to talk to LCRW contributor and double-sided media editor-in-chief James Croxton. He'll tell us about what went down in Eugene, Oregon. Alright, we're here with uh, editor of double-sided media James Croxton. So, how was Eugene this past weekend?
4: Wild. Violent. I don't know how else to explain it. Break down
0: what happened for us. I understand there was car attacks, police doing targeted arrests.
4: Yeah, so Roe versus Wade was overturned. Immediately, people had gathered in front of the federal courthouse in advance of an organized, much larger Planned Parenthood Advocates of Oregon rally in March at 5 p.m. The march itself went off pretty much without a hitch. The only significant things about it were we had three car attacks, or three attempted. I have a hard time differentiating between a successful or an unsuccessful car attack. Uh, I guess in some ways they're all successful. But we had two actual cars and one motorcycle go through the crowd, the last car of which was pursued by the Eugene Police Department.
0: So they actually tried to pursue one of the attackers this time.
4: Yes, and I can't say that I'd ever seen that before, like, immediately after it had happened. In 2020, one of Black Unity's leaders at the time was struck by a car, and it wasn't until many hours later after the community had gathered at this person's apartment that the police had done anything.
0: At the attacker's apartment?
4: apartment. Correct. And and, and that was, I guess, I would say the one situation I was looking at for reference, because that was two years ago. And so it was very interesting to see law enforcement actually do their jobs and go after someone immediately after an attempted car attack.
0: So, other than the car attacks, I hear there was um, somebody stalking the crowd with a rifle?
4: Uh, at the time of the 5 o'clock march, he did not have a rifle. Um, he was wearing very Boogaloo Boy type attire and was stalking the crowd with, at least from what I could see, nothing more than a radio with like a 12-inch antenna it was very obvious. He looked out of place. He showed up later in the evening at the direct action that we later had. And at that point, he had an AR-15 strapped across his chest.
0: What did folks tell you about this guy? What was he saying? What was he doing?
4: During the earlier march, he did not interact with the crowd very much. He mostly Followed the crowd, but from the front and on the sidewalk. And I don't recall him interacting with anybody in the crowd. One of my photographers asked him who he was, why he was there. We asked whom he was talking to on his radio, and he responded back, my guy, my guy. And when we asked him what he was doing here, he said, in case shit hits the fan. I'm not sure what he was referring to. At least I didn't at the time.
0: Have locals ID'd this guy yet, or no?
4: No, but there are attempts being made. I can't say that. Is
0: this common in Eugene, or do you think this is kind of an escalation, Somebody's actively stalking the crowd with a rifle?
4: It's uncommon. It is not uncommon to have some sort of right-wing person stalking or following a protest in Eugene. That being said, I don't recall seeing this happen for what was frankly a more liberal Planned Parenthood Advocates of Oregon organized event. I do consider it to a degree an escalation because we're seeing this more and more often here.
0: Talk a bit about the targeted arrest that the police did.
4: Later in the night, keep in mind, like, the 5 p.m. march ended around 7.50-ish. 10 p.m. rolled around, and I showed up to a flyered direct action in front of Dove Medical Clinic, which is here in Eugene. It's one of those quote-unquote fake abortion clinics.
0: What are they called? uh, Crisis pregnancy centers that kind of try to convince you to have the baby, right?
4: Within 15 minutes of... 30, 40 people showing up initially. We had no less than five EPD vehicles show up. Officers got out and began to remove their less lethal munitions from their vehicles. Things escalated as soon as the Springfield Police Department was requested to show up. When they showed up, they were already in full Tactical crowd control gear, whatever you want to call it. We knew that as soon as Springfield showed up, things were going to get violent, and it did. As soon as SPD's riot line reached the actual protests, they immediately assaulted peaceful protesters. As the night went on, there were several standoffs and and push and pull between the protesters and the cops on where they could stand. They were pushed back into the street, or you know, it it went back and forth. The climax, and I hate to call it that, is when 12 peaceful protesters, including Paris Woodward Gans, who is a local poet, interlocked arms, and keep in mind, Paris Woodward Gans spoke to over a thousand people during the earlier event, and is a well-known public speaker. What I witnessed was these 12 or so peaceful protesters with interlocked arms get advanced on by a line of cops, both Eugene police and Springfield, immediately targeted Paris. And there were at least two other arrests done at the same time that I would consider collateral damage. I have... Since last night received word on Paris Woodward Gans's condition and have updated the article to include so, Um, as a result of their arrest, uh, they were seen by a doctor and have been told that they have several surface scrapes on uh, his forehead, hands and knees, bruised ribs and knees a concussion, a lip that was nearly bitten off due to force, and last but not least, a fractured shoulder.
0: You and I are both used to these kinds of stories out of pretty much everywhere in Oregon, but it's still pretty shocking.
4: It is, but it isn't. I mean, the and this is documented both in footage that I have already published in the article and also subsequent footage that we've obtained and is documented with my photographer's still photographs in depth. The officer that I believe instigated the initial assault was Springfield officer Brian Bragg, who is currently a part of the Black Unity lawsuit against the Springfield Police Department following the events of July ninth, 2020, and he is charged with using excessive force.
0: For our listeners in California and elsewhere in the country who don't really know much about Oregon police history, Springfield's kind of got a very violent reputation locally.
4: Not even locally. I mean, I was raised, partially raised by a cop in the Bay Area where I am from. And even officers down there within my grandfather's department were well aware of Springfield history going back to the 80s. Springfield is is known to be violent. That's the only way I can put it. I don't understand why somebody who is currently a part of a lawsuit regarding excessive force used against protesters is asked or sent out on crowd control. The only explanation is that that was Springfield Police Department's way of saying that they will not claim accountability for what happened two years ago. I I take it this
0: was kind of a night that you haven't had in Eugene for at least for a little while at least, right?
4: I haven't seen less lethal munitions deployed in Eugene since probably 2020.
0: You think those times are back? To a certain degree, I do.
4: Yes. I don't see the momentum we had 2 years ago with the George Floyd protests, but I do see things when we do have protests having this more violent aspect to them from now on. One thing that really struck out at me was the man who later told people in the crowd that he was a three percenter. He was open carrying an AR-15. And when one of the protesters asked the cops if they could station an officer near him so that everybody else could feel just that much safer. The police officer responded back by saying, I'm more concerned about the people across the street wearing gas masks. Apparently, gas masks are deemed more of a threat than someone open carrying an AR-15 who openly said that he would take care of shit if anything went down. And this is the climate we're in.
0: Zooming out, seeing this happen in Eugene... It seems like there's a message being sent here. Do you think so?
4: I mean, who's going to be the force to enforce these anti-abortion laws? The cops. And why not start now? I hate, I hate to say that, but
0: yeah. I don't think I could have said it better myself. Was there anything else about the weekend you think stood out for you?
4: Yes, Yesterday, the NAACP of Eugene Springfield helped organize a march for gun legislation. This was a pre-planned event. What I thought it was really interesting, and I was able to question the uh, NAACP president about this, and we'll be publishing an article in the next couple of days. The NAACP had asked Street Medics Eugene to provide block cars while also knowing that they were going to have the Eugene Police Department escort. And Amanda Becker-Hensk, who is the face of Street Medics Eugene, she was one of the people, she was the first person that I saw assaulted uh, violently two nights ago by Officer Brian Bragg. She was jabbed in the sternum with the butt end of his baton. And as a nurse, she, that that night after it happened, she uh, questioned the officers on of whether they knew that, you know, that could cause cardiac failure. And the officer that she was talking to just shook his head and walked away. The NAACP had the Eugene Police Department, who had just brutalized peaceful protesters two days prior, escort another peaceful protest. Like, logically, it, it to me, just makes no sense. Amanda, very rightfully so, was was very upset about this.
0: We're fucked, aren't we?
4: (laughs) I mean, between all this between the liberal bullshit and the state violence, we have an uphill battle.
0: That's a more optimistic framing than I've heard so far. (laughs) I'll take it.
4: I tend to be more of a realist but in this case, I, I really do want to try some optimism.
0: Yeah, I, I could use some. Obviously, I want you to tell people about DSM and where they can find your work.
4: So Double Sided Media was founded in August 2020 during the George Floyd protests by a bunch of scrappy student newspaper journalists who didn't like what our editors wanted us to write about the protests and didn't like what the mainstream media was writing about the protest. And we can be found at com on Facebook, and on Twitter. We do have a Patreon, and we greatly appreciate any support on there.
0: Yeah, and obviously we're going to be linking to all of that in the show notes, so everybody, especially if you're an Oregon-based listener, it's been very valuable to everybody on staff at LCRW who wants to get a handle on what's going on in the great state to our California North. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on.
4: You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. James will be back soon for our
0: Pride Month special. But in the meantime, check out his excellent work at Double Sided Media. Link in the show notes. Finally, let's head to Phoenix, where protests got pretty damn spicy. Our guide, as always, is Haley from Arizona Right Wing Watch. All right, so it's the last segment of the show, and we're rejoined by Haley from Arizona Right Wing Watch for our regular segment Oh, What the Fuck, Arizona. So, this week, it was really a What the Fuck, Arizona week, wasn't it?
2: It was a bit much.
0: <laughs> yeah, so tell us what happened to Capitol Building there.
2: Everybody showed up, or, you know, lots of people showed up for the protests in the reaction to the Roe decision. Um, There was about 8,000 people out there on Friday. I was there from the beginning, showed up with, like, a group of people to try to stay safe. I went down there as soon as the decision dropped, and they already put up concrete slabs. They were ready. They were like, we're keeping people out. They blocked off parking in all the nearby parks and the back of the Capitol, which is where people normally park. The actual march was chill. There wasn't even that many counter-protesters, which I kind of thought there would be. There was just, like, a handful of groipers doing their thing. I think they just were there for a photo op.
0: I, I get the sense that they've kind of become an expected presence.
2: Yeah. They were just, like, calling people whores and saying you lost... And they were like, we don't even have sex! They were like shouting that at people, like, okay. (laughs) Uh, And they were holding up their crosses. There was like two groups of those guys. Paul Gosar was all excited about them later on Twitter, and Carrie Lake. They gave him a shout-out and said that they were brave heroes. The march went on. Some of the monuments got a little bit of graffiti on them, but that would be later used as uh, the reason why they fucking tear gas the shit out of us. Everybody was just marching around, and then they met back up around the Capitol, and there's, like, a park right across the street from the Capitol, and people were, like, giving speeches over there. Near the Capitol building, some people were, like, banging on the windows. I don't know. You might have seen it being scared tweeted by Andy Ngo and e- Ian Miles Chong. Like, they didn't break the windows or anything. Like, they were just banging on the window. When that started happening, that's when DPS started raining fucking hell on everybody. They didn't even give a warning. I was standing right where the tear gas started getting launched, and they just started shooting from the balcony of the Capitol, the roof of the Capitol, which they were also flying drones from, from the park that's on the other side of the Capitol. So it was just coming in every direction at like every angle. They were fucking popping them off. One of their canisters hit a nearby palm tree because they were on the roof and the palm tree caught on fire. So they were, like, causing more damage than fucking anything that anybody even caused. They were, like, dangerous graffiti and banging on the windows is why they had to unleash a bunch of tear gas on people. Kids got sprayed, old people were getting sprayed. It was just chaos but most people were chilling and far away from even the capital area. And it just was like the whole entire mile was just covered in tear gas. And they were like shooting at people leaving. Like it was wild. They were wilding out. And yeah, so there was a couple lawmakers outside supporting the protest inside. They were actually ending session while the protests were going on. So while on the inside, like, a bunch of right-wing lawmakers are claiming on Twitter, like, that they're being held hostage by us. <laughs> <laughs> Making us sound based as shit. <laughs> there was kind of a rumor going around that people actually broke down the doors and took the lawmakers hostage, which, which didn't happen, but, it, I mean, whatever. It, I, whatever. <laughs> So, yeah, a bunch of kids got tear because they got they so they saw some scary graffiti on an old monument um there was a couple of Republican lawmakers cleaning it up this morning. <laughs> I saw some photos of them cleaning it. <laughs> and I had- thought that was kind of fucking hilarious. Do you remember
0: the John McNaughton painting where <laughs> Trump is in the middle of a football field or whatever and he's picking up the flag and cleaning the flag
2: with a cloth? God, that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> so we gotta get those numbers up, you know? We gotta get those bitches scrubbing, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god.
2: Uh, but yeah. Uh, The next day, after they... They cleared everybody out so quick, too. It was, like, not even 9 o'clock. I looked at my phone, and I'm, it was, like, 8.45. I'm like, these fuckers didn't even wait till 9 to gas us all out. The next day, I went back, and, like, they increased, they increased the gates. They added gates around the entire capital so you couldn't get in at all. Um, like, even near the capital, it was, like, pushed back. And um yeah, the next night I wasn't there, but uh the next the next night, but um the people that were there, like the National Lawyers Guild legal observers were all picked up and credentialed journalists got detained just for like no fucking reason. Like a couple of people shook the fence, so they just detained everybody, including the legal observers. And then the next day on Sunday, they increased the fencing even more. Um, they added barbed wire. They actually called the National garden to add barbed wire around the fence.
0: I mean, it's kind of like water bottle thrown at cop too,
2: yeah, there's been just like like fucking investigative journalists just hyper analyzing like did they touch the door? and it's like, dog, I was at two years of fucking straight stop the steel uh, maricopa audit slash decertify protests at the Arizona Capitol, and I saw them bust those windows down. Like, actually. So shut the fuck up. And the Arizona Republican lawmakers went out there during Stop the Steal and hung out with the people that busted the windows down. So it's like performative fucking nonsense. If you buy into this, you're a fucking mark. Knock it off. (laughs) I'm sorry. Can you tell I'm kind of annoyed this week? I'm usually kind of chill.
0: No. Actually, right now Eli's texting me about how somebody at Battleborn Progress is really angry at our article because their leader, whatever her name is, was pointing people standing on top of benches with their signs out to the cops at the Las Vegas protest. Eli's texting me saying somebody at Battleborn Progress is very mad at the article. <laughs>
2: Our local papers have been mad at the people who banged at the door. One of the AZ Central opinion pieces was like, we know that minority rule is happening in Arizona right now, and the majority of people actually support abortion. And we know that people who are raped will be forced to carry their baby to term. But that's no reason to bang on a door. Like, how about you go fuck yourself? I think it is a reason to go bang on a door.
0: Yeah, I I think everybody is having a very very normal and not accelerated week
2: you want to know something else funny the dps will not admit it but the republicans were complaining that they got gassed on the inside also dps won't admit that they accidentally launched a canister on the inside of the building but i'm pretty sure that's what fucking happened and yeah they gassed the lawmakers also (laughs) (laughs) oh my god Fuck the SCOTUS.
0: I did have one kind of last thing I wanted to ask you. When you look back at 2020 and you look at just this past weekend, does it feel like those times are coming back? and Or does it feel different? Um, what's, what's your take on this compared to 2020?
2: Hmm. Well, I don't i i'd like i hope it has kind of um the same kind of like rolling protest effects that 2020 had but i'm pretty sure law enforcement's gonna be cracking skulls similarly to 2020 and it's kind of easy to bully the group because it is a lot of women out there by the third day it was basically all women fems some of them got scared by, like, a militia that was kind of patrolling the area, like a couple teenage girls. It'll just kind of fizzle out and get normalized into society, and people will say shit like, well, you could just go to California to get an abortion, so who really fucking cares? Get over it. You know? Because I'm hearing a lot of that. Kind of making my my brain sizzle.
0: <laughs> I guess the polite word is frustrating,
2: little bit. I think in America, a lot of things just kind of get normalized. It's like, well, this is just the new normal. It's bad and it sucks. And that's just how it is. I don't know. It doesn't have to be.
0: I guess since we're wrapping up, uh, maybe you could share where folks in Arizona can donate to abortion funds. They're going to need the money, I suppose.
2: Some organizations that can use some help right now that will be Basically helping to get people care out of state, which is going to be a lot more money. So these places need help a lot more right now. So we have Tucson Abortion Support Collective. We have Abortion Fund of Arizona and Indigenous Women Rising. Um, So I'd suggest um, helping those out if you're in Arizona or if you want to help out Arizona. Because we're in some shit right now. So Thank you.
0: And we'll have links to all those organizations in the show notes of course thanks everybody and that's it for this week's edition it's been a lot thanks for sticking with us a few announcements the rock against racism show co-sponsored by us is august 20th at the bluebird in reno cobra skulls headline and the fleshies are playing along with three up-and-coming bands from right in the heart of reno It costs just $15 to buy a ticket and say you were there. There's a link in the show notes, and it's going to be a good time. Also, I wanted to thank everybody who helped out with the travel fund we announced last episode. We reached our goal in just a day. All of us here appreciate your help. We'll keep bringing you news you need to hear about, from the courtrooms to the streets. Next week, we have a Pride Month wrap-up. And through July, we'll be exploring our fast-changing legal landscape. The Absolute State and all Left Coast Right Watch journalism is supported by listeners and readers like you. If you like what we do, you can set up a recurring donation at patreon.com LCRW. Or check out our pinned tweet at LCRW News on twitter that's l-c-r-w-n-e-w-s on twitter.com every dollar helps and so does your feedback and sharing our stories with others and leaving a review especially on apple podcasts until next time don't despair prepare
6: those numbers up you know uh, we gotta
2: get those bitches scrubbing you know yeah. <laughs>